Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. It's good to have each of you with us today. What we like to do on Wednesdays is kind of go back over the sermon that was preached on Sunday and just kind of look at some different aspects and kind of stretch it just a little bit more for more understanding. And so this past week, Jason kicked off a new series. Uh, This is the last month of the year. Our theme this year has been finish what was started. So he's kind of taking us back to that theme once again. And we're looking at the book of Second Timothy. And so Jason's going to be walking us through each chapter of the book of Second Timothy, chapter and in chapter 4, verse 7, is where we find that great expression that I had finished the race, and that really fits in with our theme. It's one of our key verses this year. And so uh, we'll talk about this lesson just a little bit and kind of pick out some little expressions here and there. It is on our website. It's a great sermon. It's a great beginning to look at a little series here. Great for you to just read Second Timothy and then go back and listen to this lesson. It'd be a good one-two for you as you peel off some layers and learn some more about God's will. But Jason, let's walk through the sermon to begin with here. Yeah, it was my privilege at the end of 2022. Um, I think I mentioned to you last week on the podcast that I am a fan of allowing these themes to live and breathe and develop throughout the year. I think it's a shame to introduce a a really good idea and then, you know, by February, (laughs) uh, the, the church really not hear anything more about it. So both of us have woven in and out out of it. Last year, our theme was, I am his and he is mine. And I wrapped up my sermons for the year in some of Peter's letters and was really encouraged by that feedback. Figured I would do the same thing with Paul. And of course, when you think of finishing what was started, I'm guessing the book of the Bible that just leaps off the page is that last letter of Paul to Timothy. In many ways, we just kind of introduced this little four-part series this past Sunday morning, looking at who it was that was authoring the letter, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, as a very young man, was there in Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Uh, The garments of those who were performing that act of violence were laid at the feet of a young man named Saul. That was his Hebrew name. He was from Tarsus, well-educated, a mover and shaker in Judaism. And in his own words, he was convinced that he ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, you can read a lot about that in Acts and in some of his own writings. But in his last preserved letter, Second Timothy, he opens that up by describing himself as an apostle of Jesus. He calls Jesus Christ, Messiah. And he says, I I am this apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. That ought to ask or lead us to ask, well, what in the world happened? How do you go from being a vehement persecutor to an apostle of Jesus Christ that travels 
thousands of miles all over the Mediterranean world at that point, proclaiming Jesus as, in fact, the anointed one. Well, we just wrestled with that question using 2 Timothy chapter 1 and Acts chapter 9, Luke's historical account of of Paul's conversion. And we just broke it down into some basic points. How, How did this happen in his life and how does he continue to help us? Well, there was input from heaven. There was the purpose and grace of a savior. There was a conscience that was cleansed and redirected. There was sincere faith that was fueling this man to follow, in his own words there, from 2 Timothy 1.13, the pattern of sound words in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There was a spirit driving him and a spirit that he was commending to Timothy, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And life wasn't easy for Paul. There were lots of things that he couldn't control But he left the rest in the hands of God. He said, I know whom I have believed, and I am confident. I am convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So it's just a dramatic turnaround. And of course, Almighty God has preserved this letter that was written to Timothy, but it's not just for Timothy. It can help us even today finish what was started. Yeah, First and Second Timothy are probably my, some of my favorite books. When I first started preaching, I was told to read these every week. I've not done it every week, but I've probably read those two books more than any yeah. other book of the Bible. Um, you know, when, when you think about the last thing you're going to write by inspiration, uh, I've, I've got a collection of famous last words by different people who had some famous last words. And <laughs> and and so you'd think, okay, Paul's going to kind of go out and everyone lives happily ever after. And but, but there's some really great admonitions and warnings and reminders and stay the course. Yeah. That, that's, that's just a, it's just a bedrock of great help for us. And so uh, every, every preacher needs to just build his hope around this. This is where we are. But really for every disciple, they need to do this because yeah. it's such a powerful, powerful book. And and really, you're using chapter 4, verse 7, really as kind of the, the I guess, the theme verse in this little series yeah. here. It's it's, it's where we have the, the three I haves. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Or as the ESV says, I have uh, finished the race. And and so let, let's start by talking about that. You know, of, of all things to talk about this endeavor with Christ, why do we call it a race? Because, yeah. you, know, you know, when we think about a race, we may think about someone in a marathon or we may think about a car race. And so, you know, you know, questions come out of that, like, what are we racing toward? What, you know, what, what, what's the prize? Where are we going? You know, what, and so a lot of things come out of that idea. So why a race? Yeah, I appreciate how the New American Standard renders that course because that ought to make us think a little deeper even than the race. I mean, a real race, whether you're talking 2,000 years ago or in the Olympics in Paris that are set to begin next year or even in somebody's own backyard. I mean, if you got two little boys and one of them says, let's race, 
Well, if it's going to be a real race, he doesn't just start running and expecting that second little boy to just follow him wherever he goes, right? If it's going to be a race, it's, okay, let's run to that tree. Whoever passes that tree first is the winner. What's being defined there is a course, right? Certainly Olympic races, there is a course. You don't just have a dozen men or women and say, okay, Everybody run wherever you want as fast as you want, and we're going to see who wins. That's that's not how it works. There is a defined course, and it is up to each runner to follow that course, stay in the boundaries of that course, and do everything that they can to cross that finish line that has also been defined before everybody else. Course gives us the idea of all right, there is a defined starting point, there are defined boundaries, there is a defined finish line, and it is powerful to read Paul talking about life like that. Now, like you said, there are other metaphors that we'll eventually get to in 2 Timothy 4. Based on our our series, our theme for the year, I picked out that one How incredible to be given the time and opportunity, even though it's hard at the end of his life, for this man to know, okay, about 30 years ago, the Lord completely turned my life around and got me pointed in the right direction and provided this pattern of sound words. And I have brought sincere faith to this equation. And I know that my time on earth is short, but I also know Jesus is the one in whom I have believed. Jesus is the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I'm not ashamed to say that, even in the great city of Rome. And Rome may take my life, but that is only going to help me finish the race. I will cross the finish line by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. And and what's interesting, and before we leave this chapter and go back to where you started in chapter one, there is, there is a contrast passage I want us to notice here. Because when he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course or finished the race. It's easy for us to think, okay, he's done. And he's just sitting on his rocking chair waiting for the angels to come get him. But when we go down to verse 13 of chapter 4, as he writes to Timothy, he says, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas and the books, especially the parchments. The parchments would be paper. I've got more things to write. Now, likely they were not inspired because we don't have those preserved. But he, he was writing letters to people and writing admonitions. So he, he could say, I have finished the course, but he was still going till the very, very yeah. end. And I, and I think that's a, that's a lesson for us senior citizens to remind ourselves of. You know, we, we sometimes hear people say, well, I, you know, I put in the 40 years to my company. Now it's my time. No, please find me a verse on that. Yeah. It's never your time. It's God's time. And so here, Paul in prison, knowing that his life was about over, he didn't just sit in the corner of that prison and say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and wait. 
No, he was still running that race. Uh, bring some stuff so I can keep working. He was yeah. going to work until the very, very end. And I, that That's a lesson for all of us. You may not be able to teach like you used to teach. Maybe you cannot host people in your home like you once did. But there are always things you can do, and we need to keep that before us. Amen. So let's go back to chapter 1. And just pull out a couple of the expressions you use. It's just great, great lesson. But in verse 13, he, in the New American Standard, it says, retain the standard of sound words, or the ESV talks about the pattern right. of sound words. And again, like that word race, um, you know, there, there's specific words God uses through the Holy Spirit to tell us things. So a pattern what what are we to make of that? Yeah, well, that is very much parallel with the idea of a course, right? A pattern. There, there are patterns all over the Bible. I have been recently teaching on Wednesday evenings a survey of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And boy, you talk about patterns. They are all over the place. The pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of the priesthood, the pattern of sacrifices. Patterns are defined by someone in authority, and those patterns are defined, expressed by the authority with the expectation that the recipients of that pattern are going to respect the authority of the giver enough to follow the pattern, right? It's not a uh, an age-old recipe maybe that's been handed down from great-grandmother to grandmother to mother to daughter, and, you know, the daughter is kind of helplessly looking around, well, how much of this particular spice do I throw? Well, you know, grandma would just grab whatever was there and, and just throw in a dash, and, you know, you just do your best. It's up to you. You cannot read the second half of Exodus, for instance, or Leviticus, and get the idea that, well, you know, God gave some ideas and some guidelines and recommendations. No, all the way down to the tassels on the garments of the high priest and the loops, the clasps of the tabernacle curtains, God defined a pattern. But letters like this in the New Testament and the book of Hebrews as well, others perhaps, are valuable because they reinforce for us patterns are not just an Old Testament idea, right? God is a God of patterns in the sense that, think of the early verses of Jude, he delivers the faith once for all to the saints. Or later in this same letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul will remind Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's everything we need for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God is the authority. He has every right to tell us what he expects Paul reminds Timothy, it's just up to us to follow that pattern. And, and that brings up just a, a important question because we face this with the culture we're in today mm-hmm. so much. So when we go back to that tabernacle, just for instance, uh, there was a purple curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does God care what shade? <laughs> and then on top of that, there were... 50 rings or that were to hold that curtain up. Yeah. Not 49, not 52. 50. Why why such 
specific details. Yeah. Well, I am still close enough to fatherhood of little kids to remember that at times a perfectly valid answer is because I said so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I can't explain, well, why did God define this color and not that color? But I do know he defined it. And he has every right to do it, and it's up to us to submit to that authority. That's the key right there. And and so when he says 50, he means 50. When he says purple, he does not mean green. (laughs) And and so if we can't follow the pattern and build in the tabernacle, how can we follow God's pattern in a marriage? Yeah. How can we follow it in worship? And that that is the major problem today in a religious community. People will say, well, I know it's not in the Bible, but what's wrong? What's wrong is it's not in the Bible. You just said it. Yeah. And, and they have this idea that, that the Bible is just kind of like a divine outline and we can kind of fill in the sub points ourselves and we can make adjustments as we go along. And they miss that. So one of the strong, strong things we get out of both first Timothy and second Timothy is to adhere to what God says. Right. And Paul would give warnings that there'd be those who come around that would not do that. And they would, they would entice those who are not strong and they would try to pull away people who are not strong. And so the, the defining point in the Bible between what's right and what's wrong is not the good it accomplishes. That's where our culture is. Look how much good was done. That's not how God defines what's right or wrong. It's not how I feel about it. Man, th- this has just made me feel so close to God. The defining point has always been, is it according to God's word? Is it according to the pattern? Jesus would say in Matthew 7 that on that day there'd be a lot of people saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons, do all kinds of things. But he rebuked them because they did not do the will of the Father in heaven. So this little expression, the pattern of sound words, it is essential as we think about our walk with the Lord. When we think about how a church is designed, how it's organized, what worship's all about, is it according to the pattern of God? And that is something that I think cannot be talked about enough as we think about where we are today. Absolutely. I mean, just reaching ahead just slightly to next Sunday, the same letters, same apostles, 2 Timothy 2, 5, summarizes exactly what you've said. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I cannot say I have finished the race and expect to be crowned unless I have followed the rules. Where do the rules come from? Those are God's rules. And, and unlike NFL, there's no red flag you throw, <laughs> and then we're going to run to the video box yeah. and <laughs> challenge that. There's no challenges. There's no challenges with God at all. God said it, and that's it. Yeah. And we need to see that. Well, another another interesting thought that came out of the lesson, and that's early in this first chapter, is about conscience. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Yeah. And, you know, uh, years and years ago, people used to say, let your conscience be your guide. And other people say, oh, that's a terrible idea. Where, where does a conscience fit in with all this? 
And then we're going to talk about another aspect. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Apostle Paul, he talks a good amount about his conscience. We could go back to the book of Acts and we could hear him say, I have lived in all good conscience to this day. We we get a sense of that in Philippians, right? Where he described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a, a Pharisee. He he was zealous, right? And and so we know this is not a pagan, self-centered uh apostate sword of man. This is a man who firmly believes in God, is fervent about the law of Moses. He was convinced Jesus was an imposter. He was convinced he ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In many ways, his conscience had been clean when he was on the road to Damascus. Here's the kicker. He was sincere and sincerely wrong about Jesus. Just because I'm sincere, I I would suggest just because my conscience is clean, that doesn't mean I am running the race God would have me to run. That's where the conscience, the heart, the mindset has to be informed by all scripture that is breathed out by God. And to his credit, when he learned more fully who Jesus was, he took that zeal and redirected it in the service of the Christ. And it's important to understand that just because you don't feel bad about something, mm-hmm. that, that's really where conscience comes from. Uh, you know, I, I can say this, I can do this, and it doesn't bother me at all. That doesn't mean you're right. Right. And, and, you know, somebody can have a bad conscience, uh, but it doesn't affect them. So, so uh, you know, I love the illustration somebody said years ago that a conscience is a lot like your watch. Now, your watch is only good, number one, if it's working. If your watch isn't working, it's not doing any good. Number two, if it's set to the right time. And if you're living here in Indiana and you go over to some other place you're in a different time zone, well, you're not, it's not the right time. And so your conscience has to be set by the word of God. And when you do something that's not right, uh, it will produce guilt. That's what conscience does. I should have done this and I didn't, or I should not have said that when I did say that. And so that conscience does guide us and help us if it's working and setting according to the word of God. Right. And so, so Paul had a conscience. Uh, he thought he was doing right, but he wasn't. But when he learned... He started to do what was right, yep. and and that's that's the key of all that. It's what Jesus would refer to as a good and an honest heart. Absolutely. Well, real quickly here, let, let, let's wrap up on this verse 5, because uh, I want to talk about this generational faith. Yes. Paul says in verse 5, For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure it's in you as well. So we've got grandma, mom, and Timothy. Yeah. Uh, what's in it, what's really immediate? What you see missing there is any men, right? Uh, where, where's Grandpa and where's Dad? They're, they're not listed there at all. But but we see this faith, and, and we see this sincere faith. And two questions come out of that. Number one, how do we pass on this faith to our children or our grandchildren? And then secondly, how do we make it their own? And they're not just doing things because 
I'm doing them. Yeah, well, it's got to begin with personal devotion, right? This was not simply, well, Timothy is aware of a synagogue in the city, and every once in a while, mom and grandma go over that. This was a lifestyle for them, right? This was not just do as I say, not as I do sort of lifestyle. These these were disciples of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, Paul describes them as having sincere faith. It's not just lip service. It's not just, you know, intellectual assent. It's a way of life. And Timothy grew up seeing that. That is what Paul noticed about Timothy all the way back in the book of Acts when he first got his attention and invited him to go along with him on these missionary journeys. So how do you pass it along? Well, you've got to live it. You're not really going to be equipped to pass along something that you don't have, that you're not fervent about, that you're you're not living yourself. To your point, it was up to Timothy at some point in his young adult life to really decide, do I believe this? Is, is this, I, I know grandma believes this. I know mom believes this. Do I believe this? Do I have the assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things that I haven't seen, but in my own heart, I'm hoping for this. I'm convicted by this. I'm going to walk in these same footsteps. I don't have to have a mother or a grandmother, father, grandfather, who has done that before me in order to do that. But how powerful those influences are. It's kind of like blazing a trail versus walking a trail in many ways that has already been paved in front of me. Absolutely. And, and you know, in the season and time we're in right now of giving gifts, what the greatest gift you can give to your family is, is to share your faith with them. I yeah. think evangelism begins first and foremost in the home. And, and not just, not just being an example, as Jason said, but having discussions. And it's more than just taking them to the church house and letting the church do it. You're having discussions with them, as Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, when they rise up, when they go to bed, when you're out walking about. You're just always talking about these things, little lessons, little moral lessons, little reminders, little warnings. And and what you're doing is you're building it not because this is what I do. You do this because this is the way of the Lord. And you just instill that and instill that and instill that. And and when you have a home like that, where mom and dad are Christians and grandma and grandpa are Christians, man, the growing up is so much easier. You don't have to decide what am I going to do on Sunday. It's already decided. You you know, there's certain words are raised to soft limits because that's just the way you're raised. Certain behaviors expected, a certain expectation of what you're going to do. Uh, And and so all that is is really just a plus when someone has that instilled in their home and, and some great things we see with that. Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity to walk back through that sermon. You know, it, it is remarkable, you know, Roger, just as surely as I do, as we look out on the audience, so encouraging to see multiple generations like that. Even great grandparents with their children and then their grandchildren and now their infant great 
grandchildren. That, that is a special thing to see. Really appreciate your kind words about that. The sermon, as you mentioned, is freely available at charlestownroad.org. It is Wednesday. We're looking forward to gathering together and studying these same scriptures that we've talked about. We're in the last month of the year. Roger, you're in the auditorium. Yes, we're, we are this uh, quarter talking about how the Old Testament finishes. And so that takes us to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And so we're going to be walking through the book of Malachi, looking at each chapter, and just great rich lessons found there. I mentioned earlier, we are surveying in our building blocks track of studies, Exodus through Deuteronomy. We are with the children of Israel this evening, leaving Mount Sinai and getting to that point where they sent spies into the land. If you know anything about that chapter in Israel's history, uh, you know it's unfortunate, but there are a lot of lessons we can learn, and that's exactly where we'll be. Lord willing, this Sunday morning, I'm going to take us, no surprise, to Second Timothy chapter 2 in this Finish What Was Started Through the Pen of the Apostle Paul series of sermons. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you tonight. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us. 